0: Our text this morning as we hear from the Living God in His Word is Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Welcome to Christ the King. This is the first sermon of a new series in which we are studying the book of Hebrews. Verses 1 to 4 that Louise read this morning are the introduction to the book. They have a technical name. They're known as the Exordium. And what it means is that these four verses are designed both to introduce the subject matter of the whole discourse and to prepare you, the listeners, to receive it. That doesn't mean that these four verses mention every key theme that will appear later in the book, but it does mean that it would be a poor introduction if it didn't orient our minds in the right direction. So that, this morning, in the first minute of the first sermon of the book of Hebrews, I get to tell you what the entire discourse to come is all about. Because for all its complexity, Hebrews is about... God speaking in these last days in the Son, And of course, the son of Hebrews chapter one, verse two is Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Adam, the son of God, the son who was born of Mary, God himself incarnate, who lived in full obedience to his Father, who suffered, who offered himself on the cross, who died and was resurrected and exalted to the right hand of the Father. In these last days, God has spoken in his Son. The hero of the book of Hebrews is Jesus Christ. This book, this sermon, actually, because Hebrews itself is a sermon, this sermon over and over and over again does one thing it fixes our eyes on Jesus, the one by whom, or you could translate it, the one in whom God speaks. The way, therefore, that I want to begin my sermon this morning as we approach this book is to ask the question, why? If Hebrews is about God speaking in these last days in the Son, if the hero of Hebrews is Jesus, if the pastor who wrote this sermon aims to fix his reader's eyes on Jesus Christ, the question we should start with is, why do that? Why write this sermon? Why write any sermon? What's the point? What should you want your pastor's number one priority to be? Here's my answer. It may seem too simple at first, but I think it is where Hebrews is driving. I think the pastor writes a sermon that fixes his or her reader's eyes on Jesus because the pastor knows that the only way his people will have faith is if they're looking to Jesus. The sermon is written to bring about faith, which pushes us immediately into what I think will be one of the most important things we'll learn about and study in our study of Hebrews, and that is the nature of faith that faith isn't a one-time deal. The pastor who wrote this sermon wasn't primarily interested in whether his readers made a profession of faith 10 years ago or two years ago or six months ago or last week or on Tuesday. No, the pastor who wrote this sermon was primarily interested in whether or not his readers would be faithful, whether they would be faithful today, and tomorrow, and on Tuesday, and next week, and six months, and two years, and ten years from now, and for the rest of their lives. That's what this pastor wants more than anything. He wants his people to endure, or to put it as one writer on Hebrews does, quote, the soul and sufficient response. To the God who speaks in the sun is faith as a life of obedience to the end. Which is precisely how I want to put it. So I'll read it again. The sole and sufficient response to the God who speaks in the sun is faith as a life of obedience to the end. Let me show you. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 to 37. You can turn there if you'd like. Hebrews 10, verse, beginning in verse 35. The pastor writes, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Which means your faith in the past matters. But to what end? Verse 36 you have need of endurance. I thought about writing that on a, on a card that I just put on this, on this podium every Sunday. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, when you've lived a life of obedient faith to the end, You may receive what is promised for here he goes, quoting from the Old Testament, as you know, the Hebrew author does all the time. Verse 37, the pastor quotes from Habakkuk chapter two, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, the writer of Hebrews says, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. <laughs> Listen, I've already said that Hebrews is about God speaking in these last days in the sun, which obviously means you've got to know who the sun is and what he's done, and what it all means, and that's exactly what a whole lot of Hebrews is about. A whole lot of Hebrews is exposition that will challenge us to comprehend the depth of who Jesus was, what he did, the implications of all of that. But that's not the purpose of Hebrews. It's the strategy, I guess you could say. It's not the purpose. The purpose of Hebrews is to urge us to faithfulness, perseverance, endurance. We just saw that in what we read from Hebrews 10, but then you find it all over the place when you are coming towards the end of the sermon in Hebrews chapters 11 and chapter 12. Just listen to these famous words from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and then you move through all of chapter 11 and you come to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and you read, Therefore, let us also, just like all the examples of faith we have in those who are under the old covenant, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then here you are at the end of the sermon itself in chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. Because I do think chapter 12 is the end of the sermon proper. And then Hebrews 13, which is the last chapter, is a kind of postscript. But we'll discuss all of that much, much later. But just listen to the echo that you find in uh, the echo of verses 1 and 2 from our text this morning as it then appears at the end. This is chapter 12, verse 25. The pastor concludes, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Right? That's where we're starting this morning. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And there it is at the end. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. For the final verse of Hebrews 12 says, our God is a consuming fire. Dear friends, though I lack the eloquence and the scriptural knowledge and the theological profundity of the pastor who wrote the book of Hebrews, I assure you, I lack it. I do promise you this at the outset of this sermon series. I will do all I can to preach Hebrews for the same reason that Hebrews was written, for the salvation of your souls for the salvation of my soul. My fundamental conviction as a pastor is the same as that of the author of Hebrews, you have need of endurance. I have need of endurance, so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. Hebrews is about God speaking in these last days in the Son, which is why the hero of Hebrews is Jesus, and the pastor's strategy is to fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus. That he might bring about that which is his purpose, that you and I live by faith, that we endure, that we preserve our souls. And it all ends where we're beginning this morning with the warning. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Following now on that introduction to Hebrews, I have two objectives in the remainder of the sermon this morning. First, I'd like to provide some background concerning Hebrews or at least comment on some issues like who wrote it, when was it written, what was the setting if we know any of these things and so on. And then secondly, having covered some of those background matters, We do need to look somewhat closely at our text this morning, but don't worry, we're only going as far as verse 2a. (laughs) Just a verse and a half this morning, and then we'll pick up in verse 2b and work through the rest of our passage to verse 4 next week, which means we'll have covered four verses in two weeks. And that means we'll be right on track to finish Hebrews sometime in the year 2023, if I've done my math correctly. Not really. I'm sure we'll finish earlier than that. But in the first service, people just got nervous when I (laughs) said this. Let's tackle a few background matters which is to say I'm going to give you a summary of where I come out on some of these things because it will, in a way, inform my preaching, but I want you to know there's lots and lots and lots written about all this, and if you're interested in the spectrum of views that are out there on these matters, you can go find it. Let me just say something about four background matters on this point because I want Hebrews to be a real document to you. I want you to appreciate it as such. Matter number one that I want to comment on has to do with the authorship of Hebrew, Hebrews. And what I'll say is that we don't know who wrote it. It doesn't say. There's no clear early tradition about it, though for a long stretch in the history of the church, Hebrews was commonly attributed to the Apostle Paul. So that if you have a King James Bible, for example, it may include an ascription to to Paul at the beginning of it. But that ascription is not in the early manuscripts. And many early church leaders doubted it. That being said, it is likely that the author of Hebrews was part of Paul's circle. Because if you look at chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 23, the author writes, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released. Well, if you know the New Testament, you know Timothy was someone who was close to Paul. So that it's probably reasonable to infer that the author of Hebrews would have been known by Paul if he wasn't even close to Paul, perhaps. But it seems almost certain that Paul himself didn't write it. For starters, the author of Hebrews makes it very clear that, that he considers himself to be one to whom the gospel was delivered by others, He says that, chapter two, verse three, whereas Paul was clear, if you remember from our study of Galatians, that he had received it from the Lord himself. That's one item of data, but there's other reasons too. The Greek style of Hebrews is quite unlike Paul's, at least the writings that we have. It's very literary, Hebrews is. The vocabulary that Hebrews uses is very distinctive from Paul. There's no opening greeting in Hebrews as there is in every Pauline epistle, And as we'll see over the coming months, Hebrews uses a number of images and theological uh, foci that are simply not found in Paul. (coughs) So I don't think it's Paul. Lots of other suggestions have been made. Some think it was Luke. Martin Luther argued strenuously that it was Apollos who wrote it. Whoever wrote Hebrews, he And I say, or she, because there are scholars who argue that Priscilla may have written Hebrews. But whoever it was, he or she was obviously well-educated, was well-known by the recipients, was probably a Greek-speaking Jew who relied on the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that we now call the Septuagint. But, Most importantly, what I want you to think about, I want you to think and know that the author of Hebrews was a devoted pastor who cared deeply for his flock. Which then brings me to to background matter number two, which has to do with what can we say about the recipients of Hebrews. Here again, we must say we don't know to whom Hebrews was written. We do know it was written to a specific group. It was sent in a way as a letter would have been sent because you read those final greetings in Hebrews chapter 13 and you, you, they indicate this, that Hebrews was written for a specific group of Christians. It's just that there's not any unanimous view as to who that group was. I tend to go with the scholars who think that Hebrews was likely written to a house church, and it was a house church of Jewish Christians, perhaps in Rome. That there was a group of second-generation believers who we know had endured significant hardships for the gospel in the past, chapter 10 of Hebrews makes that clear, and who were now likely facing further challenges or persecution on the horizon. It seems safe to assume also that given the content of Hebrews, if you've ever looked at it, that this was a group that had extensive knowledge of the Old Testament, likely also via the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that we refer to as the Septuagint. As for it being in Rome, well, in chapter 13, verse 24, the author says, Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Which I think most naturally suggests that the recipients of Hebrews were in Italy and that the author is not in Italy, but is communicating greetings from others who were from there. And if that's right, then Rome seems plausible. Because we know there was a significant Jewish population in Rome in the first century. You may recall that Jews from Rome had come to Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Some of those were converted in response to Peter's sermon. Probably that's how Christianity came to Rome in the first place. So, a bit about perhaps the recipients. Background matter number three then is to do with genre. And on this point, I've already told you I think Hebrews is a sermon, only now I'll add that it is a written sermon, you see. Or maybe better, a literary sermon. It was meant to be heard, but it was also meant to be engaged with as a written document. Hebrews doesn't begin like a letter at all. It begins like a good sermon. It grabs you immediately. It doesn't really read like a letter even through most of it, Until you get to chapter 13, where then it does end like a letter. This is partly why I think the sermon proper ends in chapter 12, and then chapter 13 was a kind of postscript, but that's debated too. We'll come to that much later. At any rate, in chapter 13, verse 22, the author himself refers to his writing as a word of exhortation. So that I think Hebrews was probably delivered and then read aloud as a letter would be, only it was written as a discourse, as a sermon. Which you may sense if you've ever read Hebrews before, because what you find in it, unlike in Paul in in some sense, are large parts that are very expositional, followed by parts that are directly exhortational. Right, The author will quote and interpret scriptural text to develop key doctrines, key points, and then he'll exhort his readers on the basis of those doctrines regarding their lives. He does that again and again and again and again so that I suggest to you this is a written sermon. Which then brings me to matter number four, which has to do with what we might say about date of the writing and perhaps about a historical setting. Not that I can be concrete on these things and not that it changes drastically how we interpret Hebrews, but I want to say it just so that you have a sense that we're dealing with a a real document that went to a real group of people in a real historical situation, even if we can't nail down all the particulars of it. I think that if we go with the idea that this is to a group of Jewish Christians in Rome, then I would suggest to you that the recipients were Jewish followers of Jesus who, at the time of Hebrews, were, being, were tempted to return to their Jewish beliefs and practices, probably due to potential persecution they were facing. At first, you may know that Romans, that is the Roman Empire, didn't distinguish between Judaism and Christianity. Followers of Jesus were considered to be Jewish. But as time went on, in the, in the first several decades, Christianity was recognized as a separate religion by Rome, and in fact, one a religion that was viewed as being superstitious and dangerous. So that Christians we know began to meet with persecution and the loss of property and privilege. And the folks to whom Hebrews was written had had suffered in precisely those ways. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 34 say... But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And many scholars suggest that that description would have fit quite well into the picture of the hardships that came to Jewish Christians under the emperor Claudius in A.D. year 49. So that now perhaps the author of Hebrews is writing some years later, and there's a new persecution that seems to be looming. No one has been killed yet, but Hebrews chapter 12 verse 4 says, in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So that again, a number of scholars propose that the recipients of this written sermon were facing a new wave of persecution. Perhaps specifically referring to circumstances that came under the Emperor Nero shortly before the year AD 64, when Nero's famous persecution of Christians broke out. That is at least one I think, pretty plausible understanding of the historical context of Hebrews, written perhaps in the early 60s to a house church group of Jewish Christians in Rome. That at least is the one I'm inclined to support, though again, there's no unanimous conclusion on those matters, but I say it though that you sense that Hebrews is startlingly real, right? I mean, persecution is looming. The situation was serious. Evidently, according to chapter 10, there were some who had withdrawn from the worshiping community who were not meeting now with the Christians. The threat of death and arrest seems real. There's likely pressure to renounce faith, perhaps to return to their Judaism, and into that context comes a letter. Only it's a written sermon. It turns out it's from a pastor who knew the men and women of this house church well who writes to warn them not to fall back from faith in Christ in the midst of trials, who exhorts them instead to endure, to press on to full maturity. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now I know that you're not In a house church in rome facing the persecution of the emperor and in that sense hebrews doesn't directly speak to your circumstance but i'm going to suggest to you that it very much does speak to exactly the pressures or the temptations or the trajectories of sin that you feel pressured by And so I'd like you to imagine this. Here's this congregation gathered, perhaps no more than 15 or 20 people seated or standing around a house maybe. And they're all quiet because this letter has arrived for them and it's about to be read. How do you start your written sermon? If you're the pastor writing to people you know and you love who you know are in trouble. Well, you go right to the heart of it all. And you tell them, God has spoken. And there we are, here we are now at our verse and a half for this morning. This is what you hear in what is, if you can read any Greek, you know it. It's a beautiful, sonorous, very alliterative Greek style that the Hebrews opens with in verse one. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Just think of that. Just think of hearing that. And then hearing how it goes on to detail, as Louise read, the the excellence of the sun, it's stirring, it's beautiful, it's challenging, it's also the hermeneutical key for the, the book of Hebrews. Because again and again in this book, the author will present Old Testament institutions, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrifices, the Mosaic covenant, the tabernacle, and then again and again, he will show how Christ corresponds to each of these Old Testament institutions and yet surpasses them all, you see. That it is the Son who reveals God's true intention for those things and their perfection in his person and work. The pastor begins, by going where he knows he has to with these people, by announcing his basic premise, God has self-disclosed in his son. God's self-disclosure in his son is the fulfillment of all previous revelation, which of course they had accepted as authoritative. And our time right now is, is very short, but so is the text. So just go with me through it briefly There is simply, in verses 1 and the first bit of 2, an element of continuity and then elements of discontinuity in those two verses. And the continuity is clear. It is the bedrock assertion that God has spoken. That God is a God who speaks, who reveals himself, that God's people have always been shaped by God's word, that it must be so if we're to know God and relate to him. God has not remained silent, but has taken the initiative and revealed himself. That was so long ago, the pastor says in verse 1, when at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so, the pastor says, it is now, in these last days, He says in verse 2, when God has spoken to us by his son. Both long ago and now, God has spoken. Yet within that grand continuity are elements of discontinuity. Long ago, God's speech came at many times and in many ways. Many times could arguably be better translated as in many parts. In many parts and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers. The emphasis is there on the diversity of God's wonderful speech in the Old Testament. The various times and places and ways and methods in which God spoke. By the prophets, it says, which certainly included those you think of as prophets, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, but not only them. That expression is best taken broadly to include all those through whom God spoke. From patriarchs like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to Moses and Joshua, to Samuel, David, and the kings of Judah and Israel. To those that, of course, we usually think of as the prophets. To the people who returned from exile. As the scholar F.F. F. Bruce puts it, God spoke in his mighty works. And made known through his servants the meaning of those works, he spoke in storm and thunder to Moses in a still small voice to Elijah, to priest and prophet, sage and singer. They were all in their several ways God's spokesman. I think the author of Hebrews celebrates that. And yet then the very terms that he used to describe the wonderful diversity and authority of God's Old Testament revelation become at the same time able to expose that it was incomplete, that it was preliminary. The pastor argues that the diversity and the fragmentation of the old have been given focus now and fulfillment in these last days by God's speaking in his son. And that is just what Hebrews is going to show us. As our author proceeds to handle the Old Testament scriptures, as he brings these pieces together in the light of the final revelation of the Son, this is what Hebrews is about. Jesus Christ is God's final word. And we, like the original readers of Hebrews, are living in these last days in the time between the first and second comings of the Son, The time when the words of the prophets will be fulfilled. The turning point of history has already come. We await its consummation. And as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we to do? We are to endure. We are to see that we do not refuse him who is speaking. Meaning, dear friends, don't refuse the Son. Jesus is God's final word. The Son himself is supremely the revelation of God. God has spoken to us in his Son. Or, as the Apostle John puts it, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He made it possible for us to know him as we never before could. No one has ever seen God, John writes, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. He has, in other words, been the speech of the Father, meaning not simply that we're looking at Jesus' words, as precious as those words are, but that we see Jesus in his character, in his actions, above all in his death and resurrection and ascension as the New Testament speaks to us of those realities. And we see then in Jesus that it was who Jesus was and what Jesus did that we find our salvation most clearly. This will be the subject matter of Hebrews because this is the strategy of the writer of Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Jesus the Son in and as whom God speaks supremely and finally. And so next week, we will follow our author as he focuses our attention then entirely on the greatness and the majesty of the Son in the rest of this passage. But this morning at the outset, The question is the same as it will be at the end of Hebrews. Will you refuse him who is speaking? Or will you embrace him? And then, looking to Jesus, run with endurance the race that is before you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.